His glory is shining here. I haven't sung this song for quite a while, actually. I was going to be teaching you a bit about the Mount of Transfiguration this evening, but I think we're already on the mountain. And um, just reading that amazing story in the Bible, and Joaquin Evans, who some of you know, my, my friend Joaquin, who's from Bethel, he he reckons that uh, this is his, his thing. He says, says when Peter, James, and John went up with Jesus on the mountain as he went to pray, you know, and that happened. And um, what Joaquin's thought is that that, that was that was Jesus's normal prayer life. They just got they just got to share on that day. But for Jesus, that wasn't wasn't a, a different experience. That was his normal experience, and others got to have a quick glimpse into it. What what access have you got right now to the holy place? Wow! <laughs> what access have you got right now to the holy place? You, you can you can rush in with confidence. You can walk in with awesome reverence, but also joyful expectation. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Wow! Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. (laughs) A little summary of what you're going to look like in the future. Glorious splendor. You get to participate in that even now. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. (laughs) Kind of understatement. (laughs) Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. In brackets, he did not know what he was saying. Sometimes you just don't know what to say when you get in God's presence. And he's here right now in an awesome way. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. Christianity is an encounter with the living God. It's not about doing meetings to keep ourselves sort of occupied. When we, when we meet together, we have the opportunity to 
come together to encounter the living God. There's a lot more gold dust down here again today, isn't there? What's happening? <laughs> sorry. Just, uh, well, not sorry. I'm just noticing what God's doing at the moment. So there's a lot more gold dust just happening down here. It's, it keeps on happening Sunday by Sunday, particularly in Sunday evenings. Not quite sure it's different, but something different <coughs> on Sunday evenings. And uh, this, pa- this passage of Scripture is... Um, Is one you can read with sort of a, a, a slight detachment. You know, I think, well, that would have been good. Would have been good to be there. Or you could actually read it with expectation of, of actually, wow, look what I get to participate in. Um, and as I say, I, I think when I was chatting with Joaquin Evans this a year or so ago, and he said, we were talking about this passage, and he said, he, his, his, you know, idea around this, and you can't prove it either way, but it is, I thought it was a decent idea, was this is a glimpse into the prayer life of Jesus. What, what was Jesus' encounter with his father like when he went up on the... Because he used to go up on the mountain to pray. It wasn't a, a, a unique experience, this, um, in terms of going up to pray. So, <clears throat> remember that Jesus was a human being as well as being God at the same time, which is kind of tricky to work out. But um, and one of the things it says about this, it, it says that Moses and Elijah came and, and they, they were talking with Jesus and said they talk about his departure. Now, I find this quite interesting because I've, I've been studying this, this uh, chapter this week. Um, in verse 51, it says this, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven... Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now, I, I, beforehand, if you'd asked me why Jesus set out for Jerusalem, I would have said that he, he, I would have said he was heading towards the cross. Do you understand what I'm saying? And it's not that is that is the truth that, that Jesus you know, deliberate and actually when people tried to stop him, he was he, you know his face his face was set that uh, you know <coughs> that Jesus was, was was going to Jerusalem for the cross, but actually. <coughs> What this passage is doing is reminding us that actually that there was a, there was a, a greater reality behind that journey that actually it was time for him to be taken up to heaven and before he went back to heaven he had some work that needed to be done um, and I've said this for, for a long long time now but I was reminded of it that, um, that the, the, where we live Christianity from is not the foot of the cross okay and and I think that's, that's often been taught around the world, that the best place for you to see is at the foot of the cross. I, I would say it's not. Um, the reason, reason for that is, is that I want to be with Jesus and he's not on the cross anymore. Um, and um, he, he, he didn't set out to stop there. He set out to go back to heaven. And the Bible says, I'm seated with him in heavenly places. So it seems a good idea to get yourself seated in the right place if you want to benefit from all of Christianity. Does that make sense? If you're sitting in the wrong place, you are going to miss out. And, and it's, it's the slightly, and it's a, to my mind, it's a slightly religious point of view where you say that you know, best place for you to sit is to sit at the, at the, at the foot of the cross. Because <clears throat> most people, when they're doing that, they've been asked to sort of remember their sin and the price that Jesus paid for, for, for getting rid of their sin. Um, <clears throat> and I, I'm not convinced Jesus is wanting us to think about our sin too much anymore. 
because um, he took it away. And he didn't take it away so I could circle around it. Which is a lot of what, the idea of Christianity is to see if you can manage to defeat sin during your lifetime. Well, now that's what Jesus' lifetime was about. He defeated sin. So. so he's given me a new life so that I can actually live it from a different perspective, which is seated with him in heavenly places. So that I live out of a heavenly reality rather than a sinful reality, because he, he, he took all my sin away. Now, I... I hope you've got this, but it takes a bit of revelation to get this sometimes, because I think I can tell it. And I remember, um, it was when I was 18, God showed me that I was dead to sin. I thought that was really good news. See, let's quick show of hands. Well, I don't need to do that. Have you been baptized? You don't have to show me your hand. If you've never been baptized since you've been born again, you should be. And uh, talk to me. We'll line you up, and we'll get. We have amazing baptism. Love it here. But, um, you know why? Why? Why is baptism important? Because it's it's an actual demonstration of a reality, and there's a there's a spiritual dynamic to it of where you actually bury an old life and raise to the new. You raise to the new one. And once you've buried something, you shouldn't really dig it up. It doesn't smell good. It's something, something to be avoided at all costs, really. You know, it's, you have to get special permission from the law to do that sort of thing. It's not, not <coughs> um, And again, I, I, you might have heard me tell this story, but it's worth telling again that um, uh, a few years ago, in 2009, when we were living in, in um, uh, Redding, California, for three months, and um, Kim actually. Um, uh, asked me if I would buy her a ring, which was, I was delighted to do because actually I've been keen on buying her, you know, nice jewellery and stuff like that for most of my married life. But she actually isn't that worried about jewellery, so so and it's you're never quite sure what's the right thing to buy. Anyway, I bought Kim this ring, and uh, I was delighted. And we went along to this this uh, uh, we went to Macy's, I think it was in Macy's. And, it, and they don't just give you a ring, do they? Put it in a nice box. It comes all nice and it's, and it comes this full velvet box and the rings you know, fits into this sort of little hold it bit and stuff and, and um, it's nice. So 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 now <coughs> I wasn't wasn't too keen on on the, the ring just staying in the box after after we bought it because where did you think I wanted it? Well, it's, it's pretty obvious. Your answer's obvious. Doug. It's, it's obvious, isn't it? Doug? Where did what was the answer? On her finger is the answer. On her finger is the answer. Okay, on her finger is the right... Guys, okay, if you need some help on this. <laughs> on her finger was, was, was the right answer and referred to it as her princess ring. And uh, so, and uh, now, she doesn't wear it all the time, um, uh, but she wears it uh, not uncommonly. And it's just, you know, when, she, when she wears it, I appreciate it. Um, so she's actually got... Three rings I bought was our engagement ring, uh, our wedding ring, and her princess ring. So those are the three rings that I bought her. And she wears them all. Wedding rings always on, and the other two get to uh, come out from time to time, but not infrequently. Anyway, so <clears throat> when, when Kim wears her princess ring, uh, what I don't do is, is scrabble around in the drawer where I know it comes from um, to find the, it, the box that it was in. And, 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 and suddenly look at the empty box and remind myself of how much it, the ring cost me. 
and I certainly don't get it out. I think, yeah, imagine this is the box here, and, and, and imagine guy is Kim and say, I just want you to remember how much this ring cost me. I really do love you, but I really do need you to understand it was very expensive. Really, really, really expensive. You're feeling good about the ring now. You're feeling really, feeling really good about it. <coughs> really, it was really expensive. Really, 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 really expensive. <coughs> See, I'm not sure that's that's that, that's that's the loving way to do things, is it? What, what does that make you feel like? What would, how would that make you feel, Lindsay? Not certain whether actually you. See, I don't think Jesus shows us an empty box. I think he wants us to wear the ring. And it really bugs me when we make communion about an empty box. Which is what happens so often. Jesus died for the joy that was set before him. So when I remember him, which is what I'm meant to do when I take the bread and the wine... Is joining with his joy, not try and summon up my own misery to make me feel worthy somehow, or bad enough, or somehow grateful enough for his sacrifice. Now I am grateful for his sacrifice. I live in the gratitude of that. You understand? I, I, I know he paid that that price for me, but I don't think he paid that price, so I have to grovel around thanking him for that price. I think he paid that price so I could live free. Is that right? And um, <clears throat> Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead and he, he went into a Samaritan village like this. It's quite funny, this. Well, sorry, you have to get into my brain when I'm reading the Bible. Do you use your imagination, imagination while you read the Bible? It's a good idea to do so. Who gave you your imagination? God. So, you need to make your imagination God's playground. Let him in. If you're fearful of it being the devil's playground, get rid of the fear. Perfect love casts out all fear, rather than, rather than don't use your imagination. That's stupid. God gave you your imagination. <coughs> he expects you to use it. It's part of your being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So use your imagination. That's where dreams start. He went into a Samaritan village to get things... <coughs> uh, he sent messages ahead and they went into the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John... <laughs> James just been up on the Mount of Transfiguration. <laughs> so, so they're feeling in good form. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call, call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Now, these are, these are guys who've just they've joined in feeding the 5,000. I'll tell you, it's, 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 uh, they've been up on the Mount Transfiguration. You think, guys, you are slow to learn, aren't you? I don't know. What we, um. Jesus turned and rebuked them. That's it, that'll get you. And Jesus rebukes you, you can receive it with joy, you should. 
He's just keeping you out of trouble, all right? That bit about, earlier I spoke, preached this morning, about where he says, called them an unbelieving and perverse generation. You know, it's kind of impolite. Jesus turned to rebuke them, and, it's, uh, and it basically says, and some, some manuscripts said, and I always read this bit, but some manuscripts say, because I like to get the most out of the Bible. Um, and Jesus said to them, you do not know what kind of spirit you are, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That's a fundamental principle, okay? So, so Now, what I find fascinating with this, and they went to another village. What I find fascinating with this is that Jesus didn't say, don't be silly, you can't call down fire from heaven. Did he? He said, oh, yeah, have, a, have a try, see, see what you can do. <laughs> no, he said, no, 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 guys. No, 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 no. That, that, that's the wrong idea. That's the wrong spirit. <laughs> See, I think they could have called down fire from heaven. Enjoying himself. See, we we have been given the power of God. Early on, right at the beginning of this chapter, it says that Jesus called the twelve to him and he gave them authority over every demon and every sickness. And sickness. How do you use that authority? How do you use the power that God gives you? Or do you? Or are you so frightened of using it the wrong way that you don't use it? Here's a theological question for you. Who, who killed Ananias and Sapphira? <laughs> I'm not going to answer that for you. I'll let you think around it. Bob doesn't tell you. But nowhere does it tell you that God killed them. You might come to that conclusion, but the Bible doesn't say that specifically. We've got awesome power that's been given to us. Along with that comes a responsibility. Does it not? To use it in the spirit in which it was intentioned. To, to be of the right spirit. Like, see, see, Jesus said to them, you're, you're coming at it from the wrong spirit. That make sense? Now that this fits in with one of the other things that go on in this chapter. It's a great chapter. I tell you, when I got Luke chapter 9, I thought I'd hit the jackpot. I won the lottery for preaching. Because um, in verse 46, they said there's an argument that goes amongst the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. So so they're having an argument, and they think Jesus isn't in the know, but he is. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside them. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. 
So let me ask you a question. Who's the greatest? This is a simple answer to this, okay? Jesus is the greatest. No competition there, is there? <coughs> Jesus is the name above all names. So, <laughs> there will never be any competition for that name. Throughout all eternity, he's the name above all names. In, in the Trinity, okay, who, who are you not allowed to blaspheme against? Hmm. Does that ever make you think? I don't know. I thought that would be Jesus that you can't blaspheme against. But who did Jesus honor above himself? Well, I'd say it's just the Holy Spirit, because he said, actually, that's the one you can't blaspheme against. <coughs> okay. Who sent Jesus? Father. Kind of tricky to work out who's the greatest amongst the Godhead, eh? I don't think there is. They're, they're the same. See, they don't battle as to who's the greatest. It's all the same. Okay? <coughs> I, think this, <coughs> I think this is vitally important. Um, because if you believe there's a hierarchy in the Godhead, that will justify any hierarchy in uh, church. I don't believe any one Christian is greater than another. Why don't I believe that? Well, because fundamentally Jesus paid the same price for every one of us. So, so he didn't pay a greater price for me than you or you than me. So, so he, and then <clears throat> where do we all get to be seated? with him in heavenly places. Now that is amazing, is it not? So, once you've got that sorted in your brain, and you sit in the right place, then it takes away your need for comparison and competition. Because you, you, you live out of that security of who you are, where you've been taken to be. But when, it, when, it, when you, you, you sit at the foot of the cross, the competition is to be less sinful than somebody else. That's what goes on in Christianity. People mark themselves, by, and that's where legalism comes in and standards of behaviour. That, 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 so, so Christians get marked by their standards of behaviour. That is legalistic. And where legalism exists, the gospel doesn't. Okay, it's really important to understand this because in, in, in Galatians, it talks about um, when the legalists come along follow Paul around it, and they, they try and add circumcision into to the requirements of the gospel. Yeah? It says that Paul, Paul didn't give in to them for a moment. Why? 
so that the, the truth of the gospel would be sustained and maintained. It's about the truth of the gospel. And once you let something in that adds something to God's grace, you've lost the, the gospel of grace. So this is, this is fundamentally important. <clears throat> We've got an amazing message of good news to preach, have we not? Okay, so, so what, what's the good news we've got? What's the gospel we have to preach? Is the gospel of the... It's not true. Kingdom. That's what, what it is. <clears throat> the gospel of the king, that's what Jesus preached, which is actually the gospel of the activity of the king. And salvation is the first step. That's, that's how you get to see the kingdom. Yeah? Jesus said that. If, if you're not being born again, you can't see the kingdom. Does that make sense to you? But once you've been born again, what do you see? The kingdom. So, so actually, you can then represent the kingdom. And I was talking about this this morning. when um, At the beginning of this chapter, basically, Jesus called the twelve to him and said, okay, I want you to represent me, which means to represent me, to actually, you know, if you're going to represent somebody, you need to be like them. You need to understand that you actually have to be able to sort of live out what, what how they would live, yeah? And that's what Jesus has made possible for us. And uh, so, so when these guys are arguing amongst them, who's, who's the greatest... They fundamentally got it wrong because you can't represent, I don't believe you can represent God properly through a hierarchy. Does that make sense? Well, that, that raises all sorts of questions, doesn't it? So, so, so actually, oh, right. where do leaders go in that? Where does a leader fit into that? Does that make you ask that question? Yeah, well, leaders lead. That's what they're meant to do. It's a gift from heaven yeah but what Jesus differentiated between when, when he was talking about um, <coughs> um, greatness he said right guys um, and this is in Matthew it's either 20 or 21 he says um, what, it seems to be this I don't know whether it's, it's you know, the synoptic gospels whether they were actually the same story but they, <laughs> they seem to have this, this idea about working out where they came in the, the sort of the greatest pecking order you know, from time to time <coughs> and Jesus said um, basically the, the uh, the Gentiles or the pagans lord it over one another, not so with you. That's not how you're meant to do it. And then, um, for me, the, the key issue is, is understanding uh, where you get your authority from. Okay? Now, this is, this is really important. So when um, Jesus was challenged over his authority, which he was regularly by the, the Pharisees, yeah, but, and, and one of the things that was, was fascinating was... was Wherever people met and encountered Jesus, they would ask the question, hey, where did he get his authority from? And it wasn't just to do miracles. They said, where did he get his authority from to teach like this? They recognized teaching with authority. Okay, and they would hey, where did you get the authority to heal the sick? Yeah? Also, where did, hey, who gave you authority to forgive sins? Yeah? And how did Jesus validate his authority to forgive sins? He says, which is easier? So your sins are forgiven, or boom, demonstrate it with a miracle. Miracles demonstrate you've got the authority of, out of heaven. 
because it's very difficult. <coughs> you said it. It's, it's impossible for you to heal somebody who is crippled without God's authority. Yeah, it, it's, it's impossible. It's also impossible for, for you to cast out demons without God's authority. And remember, in the book of, of, of um, Acts, it talks about the seven sons of Siva who tried to cast out a demon, and and uh, the demon said, "Well, I know who Jesus is, and I know who Paul is, but no, nope, don't know who you are." And they couldn't get rid of him. In fact, he, he beat them all up. But, and so, and when, just if I'm honing on this quickly, the rotent use of the name of Jesus does not mean say you have the power and authority of Jesus. Yeah. You know, I, I could stand up here in a policeman's uniform and you know, proclaim I'm a policeman. I'm not. I don't have the authority of a policeman. I do have the authority of a doctor. Yeah, and that's that's appropriate now. <coughs> How much authority has Jesus given us? All authority. <clears throat> and we need to use the authority in a heavenly way. Does that make sense to you? Because when you use it in a way that's not heavenly, it's going to come out of the wrong spirit. And, and, and Jesus clearly differentiates between heaven's authority and human authority. Um, when, when, on one time, when, when he's, he's challenged as to why or um, what, how he's got his authority, he says, "How come you've got authority to do these things? Where did you get your authority from?" He says to the, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, "Well, I'll answer, you, I'll answer that question if you answer my one." He says, "Tell me where John's baptism came from. Was it from heaven or from men?" Now, they, they discuss this amongst themselves. They discuss the question amongst themselves. So they come to the conclusion that, that they can't answer it because uh, they're in trouble either way. So they make a political answer. That's the, they, they're operating out of a political spirit, which actually, they're just, you know, they refuse to answer. Because um, so, if we say uh, John's baptism was from heaven, he'll say, well, why didn't you follow him? Because heaven's authority requires a response from human beings. He gives an opportunity to respond. But they also say, well, if we say it's from men, we're going to get lynched because the people think that John the Baptist actually... Well, what is interesting in that to me is, is that they didn't dispute the validity of the question. Do you understand? So, so it is possible to get your authority from heaven or from men. That, that, those are two sources. And I would suggest to you, you need to make sure you're home, home on the authority that's coming out of heaven because man's authority does not do the job. It simply doesn't. <clears throat> heavenly authority also comes with heavenly wisdom. And again, those are differentiated in, in the book of James. <clears throat> I think human Authority often comes with human wisdom, which has a fear as, it, as its base. Yeah. Sometimes the need for comparison can be fear-based, as where 
finding my security in this in, in an order of things. Yeah, not always, but it's it, so. And <clears throat> Jesus hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. Okay. So if you want to know what <clears throat> um, spirit to, to, to operate of, then you operate out of a spirit of love. So, so were James and John loving the Samaritans? No. <laughs> Love and power, okay? <clears throat> definitely had power. Sound mind. What's a sound mind look like? Well, it looks like God's mind. How does God think about it? How does God approach things? What, what's his mind? What, what was Jesus' mind like? And... That really is, is, is a huge part of the journey of Christianity is being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what you transform to, you're transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Which just comes down to the last thing I just want to home in on then I'll pray. Um, is on the Mount of Transfiguration, I think what Jesus did for Peter, James and John, he gave them insight into more. He gave them an opportunity to think, ooh, they've hung around Jesus for quite a while. <clears throat> and the opportunity of, of actually saying, um, to, to understand the mind of God is unlimited. Yeah? There, is, there is no end to, to what you can discover in there. Isn't that beautiful? So, so there is no end to your opportunity of discovery. So he wants to reveal things to us so we know more of his mind so that actually we can have greater impact with our lives. Okay? These are daring thoughts. Has anybody got any questions that immediately come to mind off that? See if I can answer them. Anything you think, I've got to ask him this question. Have I confused you enough already? To, yes. Elijah in the Old Testament, do you mean talk story, story in the Old Testament? No, I think when you commune, with, you commune with God, you can commune with God, and then God reveals himself in, in, in different ways. So if you, if you think of Moses, okay, so Mo- Moses is probably the easiest example to think of in this. <coughs> Moses had extraordinary experiences of God, did he not? Most of us would think, wow. So you imagine going up on a mountain, you know, Trembling, smoke, fire. Uh, you, you've seen uh, <laughs> the power of God with the plagues. You've seen the Red Sea open. You've been up on a mountain. You actually, it says actually that of, of the first, uh, the Ten Commandments, the first, that actually God wrote them. Second time round, Moses had to chisel them out. But, but actually, imagine watching God write. That'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? After that, M- Moses is cheeky enough to say, okay, I want, show me your glory. And I, I'm thinking, well, what, what more do you want? You know, what more, you know, <laughs> you think, come on, don't be stupid. No, no, he knew there was more. Do you understand? So, 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 that is, that's the whole point. Moses actually showed you. So you could be, you could be up a mountain, you know, that's, shaking at fire, you can see the hand of God right and, it's, and still want more and what God says, I'm going to show you all my goodness that, so those experiences are there, they're there for an example for us and Jesus has made the way so you've got nothing to worry about getting in your way do you think you can ask God for more glory 
to be revealed to you. Just like Moses did, okay? Be cheeky. Because somebody said, hey, hold on a minute, don't you think you've got enough? No, never. How much more can you have? Always more. So I'm going to suggest you ask now for the glory of God to come upon you. We sung about it. His glory is shining all around. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. And we dare to ask for more. I pray right now for the release of heaven's wisdom and authority upon everyone that's gathered here.